0: And welcome back to Regionally Speaking. He's Tom Maloney, and I'm Dee Dotson. And today's show is a preview of the 2022 general election. We're turning now to Dan Cardin, the chief political reporter for The Times of Northwest Indiana. Dan, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Happy to be here. Okay, Dan, so let's just get into it. The general election is just a few days away and one of the biggest races that has not only attracted attention locally, but across the country, and that is the U.S. House District 1 seat. The candidates are incumbent Democratic Representative Frank J. Mervan and Republican newcomer Jennifer Ruth Green. Now Democrats have represented Northwest Indiana in Congress for nearly a century, but Democratic Congressman Frank Mervan's reelection bid is in question as the party faces headwinds around the US this year, buffeted by President Joe Biden's low approval ratings and high inflation. So, starting with the most recent story in the news, the Green campaign made allegations that Mervan and his associates illegally obtained records relating to her military service, not normally disclosable, without Green's approval. For those that may be unaware, can you walk us through what happened?
1: Sure. It's kind of a complicated situation, and uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say Mervan was responsible. Uh, The Air Force has taken responsibility. For Green's military records being released, uh, they said in a statement that a junior individual didn't follow proper procedures and obtain the required consent before releasing portions of Green's service record to a third party. Air Force has not identified the third party. Politico, which initially published a profile of Green, said that that third party was not affiliated with the Mervan campaign. And Congressman Mervan told me personally he had nothing to do with it and nobody from his campaign. The Green people have insisted Mervan was personally responsible for this, but I've been able to find no evidence of that. And they've provided no evidence to the contrary. And the Air Force taking responsibility for those uh, records getting out seems to point to exactly uh, where they came from.
2: Dan, uh, politics is a bit of a dirty business. I mean, we as outsiders see that, and it, it's sort of its own dogfight, so to speak. But I couldn't help but read that article um, myself and, and think of, you know, just the trials and tribulations that that uh, Jennifer Ruth Green has been through, and here she is standing on the other side as a survivor. You know, and I understand that. That's information that you don't want leaked out, you don't want put out in any way, shape, or form without some sort of control around it. But, you know, at the same time, it's election season and, you know, not necessarily with what happened with with her, but, you know, there are candidates out there. They have skeletons in their closets. It's not unusual for information that you thought was buried 20, 30, 40 years ago to all of a sudden Uh, bubble back up? Um, Is this just uh, Jennifer Ruth Green's first, I mean, this is her first foray into politics at this level, but is this just a a result of her not realizing, you know, everything that comes to play with it?
1: Well, I think she has a a right to expect that her records would be maintained appropriately. You know, the Air Force has admitted that somebody screwed up. Um, You know, the, the issue is the Green campaign keeps saying it was Frank Mervan who did it, when the Air Force is saying they were the ones that screwed up. You know, the Air Force still hasn't identified the person who uh, released the record. They haven't, they haven't identified a motive. So, you know, it might just be incompetence. Um, we don't necessarily know if it's a political thing or malicious in any way. Uh, you know, that, that'll that come out in time as the Air Force continues its investigation. But, you know, anytime you're a, a public figure, uh, you have to expect – people are going to be digging into your past. You know, there's 435 members of the house of representatives across the entire country in a country of 310 million people. You know, there's a, there's a lot of incentive for a lot of people to know exactly who those people are. Um, And, you know, military records, military uh, data, things like that. I mean, these are, you know, held by the government uh, that the same government that a lot of people think is completely incompetent in a lot of ways. So, uh I I'm, I'm guessing she shouldn't be surprised that this would be out there and you know this is a point uh Tom McDermott has made in connection with his his own military records he he said on his podcast the other day that he fully expects Todd Young has uh gotten hold of those you know I have no way of knowing that for sure but you know he wouldn't be surprised so it it does seem to be um kind of an expectation for public figures to expect that things in the public record are eventually going to get out.
2: And, of course, that's a former, well, soon to be former mayor of Hammond, Tom McDermott, Jr., who was elected to not run for mayor again. We'll see what happens there. But he is currently running for U.S. Senate against uh, incumbent Senator Todd Young, who is up for reelection, going for his second term. In what I think is probably the other big race that is uh, on our ballot uh, here, at least in northwest Indiana, because of the proximity, obviously, with uh, McDermott to northwest Indiana. Dan, um, really quick, though, sticking with uh, Green versus Mervan here in the U.S. House District 1 race, uh, Jennifer has raised some some pretty good cash, and Frank has raised some pretty good cash as well. Uh, but I feel like I'm hearing a lot about record levels of fundraising and, and really big, big, big dollars when it comes to uh, Jennifer Ruth Green and Frank Mervan. But when I look at the numbers themselves, they don't feel that big.
1: Well, and you have to look sort of beyond the money that they've raised individually as candidates. So Green's at about $3 million. Mervans at about two and a half, but uh, there's been a ton of uh, Republican super PAC and outside interest group money uh, coming into this raise, almost $10 million, uh, in addition to the money Green has raised. Um, Kevin McCarthy's uh, quasi affiliated Congressional Leadership Fund, uh, you know, that he hopes is going to make him Speaker of the House. Uh, Jim Banks, the congressman from Fort Wayne. Uh, who also wants to have a big role in House leadership is putting money into this race. Uh, so you're seeing, you know, for Northwest Indiana, unprecedented amounts of money. Um, you know, this hasn't been a competitive seep forever. And, you know, we'll see how it turns out on Election Day. But, uh, you know, the Republicans are convinced that they can win this one this year and they're going to, you know, it looks like spend as much as they possibly can to try and make that happen.
0: The GOP hopes Green will be at the forefront of a more diverse party in Washington. If elected, she would be the only black Republican woman serving in the House and just the second black Republican woman in history elected to the chamber. Green won a crowded Republican House primary as a Trump supporter and as a frequent Fox News guest. She said her campaign can keep the race with Mervan tight with capturing 20 percent support from black voters. But there's something I found quite interesting. Former Indiana State lawmaker Charlie Brown, a Democrat from Gary, noted that Green doesn't mention party affiliation on many of her campaign materials. Green's bumper stickers and yard signs feature military-looking star insignia, but they don't list party. Her flyers promise, quote-unquote, battle-proven leadership, middle-class tax cuts, and protections for Social Security and Medicare, but again, without mentioning the GOP. And the flip side to that is that Mervan's yard signs are emblazoned with Democrat, and he has been endorsed by area unions. And as a matter of fact, during the United Steel Workers Convention this summer, he pointed to outside conservative political groups spending big to oppose him in the district. So as you continue to cover politics for the Times of Northwest Indiana, what are you hearing from the community about this race in particular?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's trickery if you're a Republican running in a district that's always voted Democrat. You know, why would you, you know, you don't want to give people a reason to vote against you. So, uh, you know, there's nothing that requires you to put your party label on a sign. So uh, given the the history of the district, it's not surprising um, that she wouldn't. You know, what's interesting is uh, Northwest Indiana actually has elected a black woman. Uh, to Congress. Uh, Katie Hall was a Democrat who was elected in the early nineteen eighties, uh, right before Pete Vskovsky. Uh, so this district has has no problem, you know, with Canada diversity or things like that. But yeah, she would be, you know, probably the face of the Republican Party. She's already making a ton of um, Fox News appearances and things like that. So, you know, she would be out there with like the Lauren Borberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and sort of speaking for the GOP on a wide range of issues if she gets elected.
2: Let's talk now about the flip side of that coin, Frank Mervan. Uh, I don't know that I've seen a lot of Frank Mervan on the national, uh, you know, press. He, he's not on uh, MSNBC or NBC. I don't see him on CNN. I don't. I don't see him on Fox News. I, I. I see him kind of staying low to the ground and more concentrated on Northwest Indiana. Is, is this a uh, just a different tactic when it comes to political campaigning, or is this sort of how Frank is? He doesn't want the limelight.
1: Probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, it's fun to go on Fox News, but presumably she should be trying to reach Northwest Indiana voters, and I don't know how many undecided voters in this tiny little corner of the entire country are watching Fox News wondering, oh, is my potential congressional candidate going to be on there? So uh, what Mervan has done was has focused on uh, really connecting with people living in the district who are potential voters. So, uh, you know, he he thinks he has a good record that he's uh, accumulated over the last two years. He's passed a lot of legislation in conjunction with the Democratic-controlled House and President Biden. Uh, The American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, the Inflation Reduction Uh, Act—he got these things into law, and they're bringing a lot of money back to Northwest Indiana. So he's been, you know, showing up at you know ribbon cuttings all over the all over the region, taking credit appropriately for projects that he's helped bring to fruition that otherwise wouldn't have happened. And you're seeing it, you know, even in places like you know St. John, they're happily accepting uh, this uh, American Rescue Plan money to fund different projects in the community. Uh, Dan Dernold, who's a Republican running for the Indiana Senate, uh, was practically gleeful when he was doling out money as a county councilman from the American Rescue Plan that every Republican in Congress voted against. So Congressman Mervan is, you know, going around taking credit for things that he's done and running on his record. It's a district-focused congressman, and, you know, that's a, a different kind of strategy than what Green is pursuing.
2: All right. Before we switch gears here, uh, do you have a prediction for this race?
1: You know, I don't make predictions. I like to be surprised on election night. But Mervan <laughs> won by sixteen percent in twenty twenty over the Republican, and that's a that's a huge margin to overcome. So we'll see if Green will be uh, will make history in a lot of ways if uh, she prevails on election night.
2: There you go. And uh, we're talking with Dan Carden. Uh, Northwest Indiana Times political correspondent here on Regionally Speaking. Dan, of course, the other race that uh, we alluded to earlier in the conversation is for U.S. Senate, as Senator Todd Young is up for re-election against uh, soon-to-be former Hammond Mayor Tom McDermott Jr., who's running for U.S. Senate. Uh, Of course, McDermott lost two years ago to Representative Frank Mervan in the Democratic primary for that race for U.S. Senate. House District One. So now uh, McDermott looking for another opportunity, politically speaking, to uh, taking on an incumbent here. Uh, what's the storyline? Of course, we've we've seen the the commercials uh, with with Tom McDermott Jr. and smoking uh, smoking marijuana on the other side of the state line. Meanwhile, uh, Todd Young is out there uh, taking pictures on Twitter of invisible cars at gas pumps. It's it's been really interesting.
1: It has. Uh you know this this one. You know, in contrast to the other race, the House race, where Mervan and Green are both spending a lot of money, McDermott has hardly any money in this race, um, and he hasn't gotten a lot of help from national Democratic groups, the National Democratic Party. He's just sort of out here on his own, trying to do his thing, and uh, sort of a real kind of underdog story. If he could somehow prevail over Senator Young, who's you know a, a Republican running with all the resources and what's many people consider to be a republican state so you know i actually you know we talked about the money i i wouldn't be surprised if there's more money spent in the northwest indiana house race than in this statewide uh senate race this year it's it's
2: uh, yeah it's it's polar opposites todd young yeah. has raised uh just over 14 and a half million dollars he's spent about 11 and tom McDermott junior has raised uh less than a million and a half and he spent just over a million um it really is a david versus goliath in terms of that senate race uh here in indiana you know and we we know we know who tom mcdermott jr is um i don't know that his brand of politics really sells well even to southern indiana democrats that's something that we saw happen just a couple of years ago when um senator karen Tallion ran for uh, the Attorney General's uh, seat for the Democratic Party and lost in the Democratic caucus to a Southern Democrat whose name I can't remember now but um, you know it, it always seems to be a bigger hill to climb for Northwest Indiana uh, Democrats when it goes to downstate when it comes to playing downstate politics, I guess. does does yeah, Tommy jr. have an, a chance there in terms of trying to get into the the Southern Democrats?
1: yeah to some extent, I think he does. He's been following uh kind of this mervan playbook of actually showing up and talking to people, seeing that you know he's not some you know weird monster from Northwest Indiana. he's just an ordinary politician like them who uh you know has concerns about the future of his country uh mervan or excuse me senator young ha- uh you know has been running sort of a traditional television campaign he's been doing. Uh, a lot of private events, Republican events, but he he doesn't do a lot of uh, public events. Uh, Mayor McDermott has been you know showing up in towns all over the state, places that haven't seen a Democrat and a democratic elected official in a long time, and uh, you know trying to reach out to people personally and convince them that they'd be better off voting for him.
0: Okay, Dan, we're gonna uh, shift for. For, for now, to talk about Lake County. Um, there's been a lot of buzz about crossing party lines and it's caused a bit of a stir within the Lake County Democratic Party. Uh, can you tell us what happened with Dan Dernell?
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting uh, situation. Several of his uh, colleagues on the Lake County Council wrote a letter talking about how great Dan Dernal is or was as a member of the county council. He was uh, one of two Republicans on the seven-member council. They pointed out that he was always willing to work across party lines to try and get things done for the county. Three Democratic council members uh, signed this letter, and uh, Dernal included it it in a mailer for his uh, Indiana Senate campaign against Michael Griffin in the 1st District. Uh, Obviously, uh, three Democrats Pseudo endorsing the chairman of the Lake County Republican Party uh, a couple of weeks before the election uh, did not sit well with many of their fellow Democrats, uh, and there's been some there's been some backlash and some sort of implied threats that uh, they might not be uh, considered Democrats in good standing uh, once the election is over.
2: Now, what does that mean to be considered a a party member in good standing?
1: Yeah, it's so. I mean, they are, the, the three members, three of them are all elected as Democrats. Uh, David Hamm and Ted Bilski are running unopposed for re-election, so they'll be back on the council for another four-year term after Tuesday. El Chaka lost in the Democratic primary uh, to Clorius Lay, uh, who is unopposed in the general, so he'll be on the council. Uh, but El Chaka won't have any office after uh, after his term expires. Uh I, I spoke with Jim Weiser, the chairman of the Lake County Democratic Party. He said he can't uh, force them to disassociate as Democrats because they're elected Democratic officials. But uh, Dave Hamm and Al Chaka are Democratic precinct committeemen, which is a party office. And uh, Jim Weiser said that he's been urged by other Democrats in Lake County to remove Hamm and Manchaka as precinct committeemen. And it's, he said it's something that he's considering, but he wants to kind of wants everybody to work together through Election Day and then they can fight it out afterward.
2: And this is not unprecedented, though, in northwest Indiana. We saw uh, just a couple of years ago, Hobart Mayor Brian Snedecor uh, yeah. switching from a D to an R behind his name. Um, you know, is there any sort of—has uh, there been backlash for him? Would there be backlash for, for these individuals if they decided to switch parties?
1: Um, well, we'll see what happens with uh, Mayor Snedecor. You know, he'll be up on up for re-election next year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he might face potentially a Republican primary challenger who complains that he's not a real Republican, or he could right. face uh, a, a strong Democrat because he was elected as a Democrat. So, clearly, Hobart— is okay with having a Democratic mayor. So uh, we'll see what happens to him. Bilski and Ham, I mean, they're kind of free agents after Tuesday. They're not opposed. They've got a four-year term. So um, I think they'll probably, you know, work things out. And, you know, it, I think a lot will depend on what happens with Dan Nolk If he's elected, uh, Ham, Bilski, and Menjaka might get a lot of the blame. If he loses, then I think everybody will probably let bygones be bygones.
2: And of course, he's facing off against incumbent uh, Michael Griffin in District One. Um, one of those district races uh, that I live in, District uh, Nineteen, uh, Julie Oltov versus Lisa Beck, um, is it's just—it's been fascinating. Every every two years, there's a different representative representing uh, the area. Even following some of the uh, reconfiguration of the uh the district lines themselves what do you make of this as lisa beck uh looks to get her seat back uh from julie oltoff that she took from julie oltoff
1: yeah yeah that district and even before that uh i think julie oltoff made a couple of runs at shelly vandenberg before she ended up winning so it's been um sort of a lot of the same people uh, going back and forth uh for that district uh We'll have to see what happens with it. Um, it got redrawn a little to bring in a lot more of unincorporated Porter County. Uh, the last Over the last decade, the district, uh, the Lake County portion of the district tended to give uh, a small majority to the Democratic candidate, and then uh, Lakes of the Four Seasons would... Past years, overwhelmingly vote Republican and help put the Republican on top, but sometimes it didn't work out and the Democrat ended up getting elected. Um, there's now more of rural Porter County in that district, so uh, the Republicans who drew the maps at the statehouse seem to think that will help Julie Altoff. But you know, Julie Altoff also voted for uh, the state's near-total abortion ban, which probably angered quite a few women. Uh, she voted for the transgender sports ban, uh, permitless carry of handguns in the state. So, uh, you know, she's taken some positions that might not reflect well with suburban women that make up a big chunk of that district. The voters in the, that district.
2: I should note as well, she uh, she supported then uh, then Governor Mike Pence's uh, RIFRA yep. just a couple of years ago, and uh, during the uh, Democratic primary for Lake County Sheriff. All of the candidates who attended the uh, the debate that was uh, moderated by by us here at Lakeshore Public Radio in, in conjunction with the League of Women Voters, there's my shameless plug. Dan, I believe you were there that night. I was. Uh, they were all adamantly against that Kerry uh, bill that had gone through um, – so it was really interesting to see that the, the party of law and order, the GOP, who traditionally supports police, Blue Lives Matter, the thin blue line, we see the flag all over Northwest Indiana, but instead rather uh, voting in favor really of of ultimately the incredible strength and power behind the Second Amendment. Um, and, and you know, police officers worry that it would put their jobs and their lives on the line. Um, so yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see. And you know, those added uh, those added votes from Porter County uh, shifted away as well. I believe Michael Aylesworth took over a lot of the rural Lake County votes that were shifted out of District 19. So uh, we'll see how that all sort of—or uh, is it uh, Niedermeyer? Um, well, I this think, is
1: in the House, so it would be Ailsworth. But yep. I think he's unopposed
2: for re-election. Yeah, so. he is. He is unopposed. Yeah. Um, and uh before we get into that uh that lake County sheriff's race Dan um let's let's swing over really quick and talk about uh a name that we we, we just mentioned a moment ago but uh Senator Karen Tallion, who uh resigned uh was it last year feels yeah, like longer right ago the but yeah of the
1: session um, like probably about a year ago right around now
2: I, I think so and then uh Rodney Pohl jr was elected via caucus to Uh, fill out the remainder of her term. He is now running uh, for his first election.
1: He is in in Senate District 4, which is uh, northern Porter County and uh, sort of the lakeshore in uh, LaPorte County. And, um, yeah, he's running against Jeff Larson, who's a former Porter County councilman. Um, And, you know, this is one of those races where you've got uh, two people who – Paul well, never has run for office before, aside from that caucus. So uh, he's actually coming into this as kind of like the first time candidate, even though he's technically the office holder. Um, he mentioned this to me earlier in the primary that, you know, he had to go out and, you know, find places to put lawn signs. Like these are things like experienced candidates know how to do and, you know, have places that they've been going to for years. And um, he's really you know, facing kind of a challenge going up against Jeff Larson, who's been elected countywide in Porter County and uh, now looking to move up to the Indiana Senate.
0: So another race I'd like to take a moment to talk about is Indiana House District 12. First term state Representative Mike Andrade, a Democrat, and Republican Charles Callis of Griffith, a Republican, are vying for this seat. And with the redrawing of the legislative boundaries for this district, do you think that that will play a part in who wins the election for this particular seat?
1: A little bit. This one um, hasn't changed too much, but um, I feel like it it gave up uh, a bit of Hammond, like it had part of South Hammond. Like parts of South Hammond, right. More of Griffith.
0: Right. And how do you see that race going?
1: Well, I I know uh, Mike Andrade has been working really hard even, uh, you know, well before the election. He's uh, sort of been following that Mervan uh, community focused approach of showing up at every single event, uh, you know, shaking every hand, being in every parade, uh, really putting himself out there as sort of a servant for the public. Uh, Charles uh, Callas, he ran for uh, Indiana Senate before against uh, the congressman's father, Frank Mervan, uh, in 2018, and uh, was unsuccessful there. Uh, He didn't run in the primary uh, for this seat. Uh, He said uh, his... uh, Family was going through some things then, but once he realized there were no Republicans running in the race uh, he, uh, and it covered where he lived, he uh, threw his hat in the ring to, to give Andrade a challenge. And, uh, you know, he's, he's starting from behind from that perspective, but he's, he's doing the work to try and uh, reach out to voters and, you know, get himself elected to the state house.
0: OK, Dan, so you can't turn on the news right now without hearing some concerns about election safety and or integrity. And to that point, you recently filed a story about the integrity of the upcoming election. And in that story, you noted that the federal prosecutor and the FBI are prepared to investigate complaints of voting rights, threats of violence, as well as election fraud. So what steps are being taken to ensure that we don't have a repeat of the 2020 election and its aftermath?
1: Yeah, well, you can't control people who lose saying that the election was fraudulent. You know, anybody can say anything in this country, especially when it comes to politics. That's one of the great things about America. But, um, you know, we haven't had the problems that you're seeing in some of these other states in Indiana, for the most part. That's true. Uh, uh, We we don't have armed vigilantes sitting outside ballot drop boxes and things like that, like they're seeing in Arizona. Um, You know, uh, especially in Lake County, I I can say that um, I know the Democratic and Republican election officials, Work really well together. You know, their goal is to ensure a fair and accurate election. They're not pushing a, a partisan aim. They're they are Democrats. They are Republicans, but they really just want to have a good election. And um, they have been told that you know they're committed to that for this year as well. Uh, but should there be any problems or shenanigans or anything like that, uh, the U.S. Attorney Clifford Johnson, who covers all of Northern Indiana has said that you know he's ready to go to enforce federal election law which ensures you know the integrity of the vote the right of people to vote without interference uh, the right of elected officials to serve in office without harassment and threats and things like that uh, and he's uh, going to have his staff on duty on election day and after to make sure uh, everything goes goes the way it's supposed to
2: all right, Dan, one last question for you here. What is the biggest surprise of Tuesday evening for you?
1: Uh, what kind of pizza the Times orders? <laughs> <laughs> That's always a surprise. There you go. Um, no, I mean, you know the there, there's a there's a lot of potential surprises. I mean there's there's there hasn't been much public polling in the u s Senate race, and what's been out there shows McDermott is unexpectedly close to young, so if McDermott could somehow pull that off. Uh, probably with an assist from the Libertarian candidate James Seniak. There's, you know, there's a lot of Republicans who are just satisfied with Todd Young. He didn't get to- uh, Donald Trump's endorsement, uh, so that might send some Republicans to the Libertarian. So if McDermott could somehow pull that off, that would be uh, completely unexpected because, you know, that would be a, a national story because the Democrats, you know, have been pouring money into states like Pennsylvania and. Uh, these other states with, you know, highly, Georgia, these highly competitive Senate races and completely ignored Indiana. And if somehow McDermott could pull that off, that would be huge. And then, you know, like uh, the, we talked about the U.S. House race, you know, this district has been Democratic since the 1930s. And uh, if somehow uh, the Green campaign could pull off a, a surprise here, that would be uh, transformative for the Republican Party in Indiana and across the country.
2: And I should note that uh, Jennifer Ruth Green is the Republican as opposed to being on the Green Party, though, I I must say, uh, an interesting choice, uh, like we talked about, in terms of the signage without... uh without anything else on it. But uh, nonetheless, we will uh, have to see how it all plays out. And Dan, that's the reason why they play the games. They are not one on paper. Uh, speaking that's of papers, Dan Carden, chief political reporter for The Times of Northwest Indiana, joining us here on Regionally Speaking for an Election Day preview. Dan, thank you so much. And we're looking forward to uh, reading your recaps here in just a couple of days.
1: Can't wait to see what the results show.
2: Welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm Tom Maloney. She's D. Dotson. Joining us now on the phone lines, wait a minute, I feel like I've done this before, is <laughs> Barb Schilling from the League of Women Voters, the president of the Calumet Area League of Women Voters, representing Lake County here in northwest Indiana, as well as the co president of the state for the League of Women Voters. Barb, welcome to Regionally Speaking.
3: Uh, thank you, Tom. Again.
2: <laughs> it is, and uh, for those of you wondering, um, sometimes technology doesn't work in your favor. I talked with Barb earlier this morning, and it didn't record, which, you know, if we all remember those days with a VHS tape and a, a VCR getting set to record our favorite show, and You run out of tape or it just doesn't record and now you you've missed it and uh we didn't want we didn't want listeners to uh to miss our conversation so i shot barb a quick text and i said hey guess what it broke (laughs) um so welcome back to regionally speaking
3: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate
2: it. You get the thrill of live radio. Um, so let's go ahead and pretend that we haven't had this conversation yet, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So, Barb, this is the uh, the first go around, I think, in roughly the decade that you and I have been working together. Uh, through coordination and partnerships uh, with the League of Women Voters and Lakeshore Public Radio, um, that we've not done a debate during an election cycle for the general election. Uh, we we had debates during COVID. We, we've we had primary and general election debates from everything from, you know, the dog catcher on up. And here we are staring at the face of uh, the, the November uh, elections here for the generals in 2022, and no debates, and we don't have any other debates scheduled. Uh, what happened? What what's what's going well, on here?
3: <laughs> well, Tom, it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, as you know, you know, we the league does have a debate committee, and we met with different people from Lakeshore and planned out all these fabulous debates. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it seemed like mostly the incumbent candidates uh, did not want to debate. So, consequently, for the first time in many, many years, we did not sponsor any debates, which was uh, very disappointing. And um, I, and I'm sure uh, the voters would have appreciated uh, listening to uh, the candidates uh, have uh, conversations with each other and them missing out on the media coverage that also happens after a debate. So.
2: Well, uh fret not, we uh we have another cycle of elections next year for um local mayoral races and uh city council uh races as well. So we will uh we will no doubt be talking again here uh right after Tuesday evening and uh getting things planned for 2023. So fingers crossed, we'll have some some more debates coming around for the uh, the primary election cycle here this next go around, but it's it's so difficult, I think um, when it comes to relationship building, rapport building, when politicians and candidates elect to not debate, and you know what, what does it say? Uh, what does it speak to in terms of um, a voter? You know, when when you find out that your candidate of choice, or maybe you know, just somebody, you know, maybe you weren't, you were still on the fence, and somebody doesn't want to debate. Um, have you heard from folks uh, at all who just say, you know what, I I can't vote for somebody who doesn't want to look me in the eye and tell me what I want to hear?
3: Yes, there's that. I mean, also, it's really uh, great to actually see what your candidate looks like in person uh, and watch how they answer questions. And it's also in our debates. primarily we get questions from the audience. Mm-hmm. So, voters are out there writing their own questions, and uh, the moderator is asking them to, you know, giving the, the answers to the uh, debaters, the candidates, and um, missed out on a whole lot. Um, it's great to see that interaction. It's great to see how candidates react to questions. And uh, uh, it's interesting to uh, read what kind of uh, questions the voters actually have for the candidate.
2: Yeah, because what's important to them. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes they're they're coming up with things, uh, especially you know when it's a candidate who might be running in Lake County. But you know if I if I don't live in their their district, I don't always know what the the important things are. And you know with so many league uh, of women voter representatives acro- across Lake County, most districts are covered. But you know there's the occasional well, what is this race really about? And of course, you know it's the general public that knows what it's about. Um, so, you, you've got candidate websites, right? There's social media. There, there are ways to track down information when it comes to a candidate. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's something that you have been working on, Vote411, uh, which is a voter information website uh, filled out by the candidates themselves, right? Can you give us some, some details and some background on Vote411?
3: Right, vote four one one is a national uh, league website was uh, developed by the National League. Uh, here in uh, Lake County, my league, which is Calumet Area, works in partnership with the Legacy Foundation that funds uh, Rise Northwest Indiana. So uh, it is a voter candidate information uh, website. You can go onto it; it's very easy. All you have to do is Google vote four one one. Uh, it'll take you right to the website, pop in your um, zip code, and it'll show you the slate of candidates that you can choose from. Uh, we ask candidates for a photo, and also we give them some questions that have to do with their specific office that they answer. And so you can actually read uh, the answers to the questions and find out uh, which candidate uh, basically uh, is uh, agreeable to what you find issues that are important in your own community. So um, also when you are able to register to vote on uh, through vote 411, there's uh, a link to election protection. There are, I believe, two debates up right now. So if you miss the secretary of state debate or the U S Senate, debate. You could go preview those before you go to vote. Um, It shows you where your precinct is. you shows you where your polling place is in case it it was changed. It gives you a lot of different information.
2: We've seen a lot of polling places close and relocate individuals across Northwest Indiana in the last couple of years. And uh, we'll be digging into a little bit of that Secretary of State's race in just a few moments. Uh, Barb, we're joined by Barb Schilling, who is the president of the League of Women Voters of the Calumet area, which represents Lake County, and then co-president of the League of Women Voters of the state of Indiana, joining us here on Regionally Speaking. But uh, before we get into the discussions here about the Secretary of State's races, um, where is, is it vote411.org? Is that the website? Correct. Okay. And so if I go there, I can put in my address and it just gives me the breakdown of does it give me like a who's on my ballot, who am I voting for? Yes, it does. Give you the
3: entire slate.
2: Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. So I've got some time to check that out over the weekend before I go vote on election day. And uh you know, I'm a, I'm a big vote on election day kind of a guy. That's just you know, there, there's something about doing it uh, on the day of. Don't get me wrong; I I love voting early. I love voting from home, mail-in ballots. I am a I'm a firm believer in expanding access to voting uh, because it, it it's so incredibly important to allow individuals to have their voices heard. Um, but I like going on election day. Um, do I. Those polling places that have closed. Uh, what kind of an impact does that have on individuals who um you know maybe can't get to an early voting location you know they can't they can't drive um i know gary public transportation uh, corporation gptc is going to be offering free shuttle service free bus service uh to polling locations uh, that they uh drop by uh so that's an opportunity for individuals there um but you know they're There are areas across Northwest Indiana that don't really have great public transportation. So what happens with these? Most, most. That's right, like (laughs) most most places.
3: County Um, doesn't have a good public transportation system. Kind of have to depend on uh, friends or uh, hoof it yourself. Um, I'm sure that the Board of Elections did the best job they could getting the information out about the changes of the polling places. I mean, that's why it's a good thing to check with 411 to make sure that uh, you're going to be going to the right place uh, so that you don't waste your time um, mm-hmm. going to the wrong place. Um, it, it is tough. Um, and Tom and I talked about this. You know, an, another state uh, race that, it, that's going on right now is uh, for Secretary of State and uh, The person who is the Secretary of State controls what happens with elections, so it's a good thing to go on Vote411 and check out uh, what each candidate stands for as far as that goes, and also listen to the Secretary of State debate.
2: And that debate, uh, which did broadcast live here on Lakeshore Public Radio, Despite uh, Diego Morales, the Republican candidate, uh, saying that he didn't even know a debate was happening, um, despite <laughs> the fact that efforts were made to reach out to him and his campaign to inform him of said debate. Um, at this point, if you're listening to the station, you already know that uh, Morales is an election denier. Um, he does not believe in the results of the 2020 presidential election. He believes it was stolen from uh, then-President and uh, Republican nominee Donald Trump, and um, What does it mean when somebody gets elected into that kind of a position holding those types of beliefs? Um, You know, I don't want to just single out Morales. I'm sure there are other secretaries of state uh, and other candidates. I know that there are other candidates across the country right now that are on the ballots, including candidates here in Indiana, but outside of northwest Indiana who we'll be voting for, um, who are election deniers. What what does it mean for individuals to – you get the job – being voted in, but then you turn around and say, no, it didn't count, right? Uh, what, what kind of an impact it, does that have for, for voters long-term?
3: A, a tremendous impact. Um, it's uh, Whoever the Secretary of State is wields a lot of control on how elections are going to be run, if there's going to be early voting or not, uh, how many places there are going to be to early vote where your polling places are going to be, how many there will be. Um, it, the league stands for uh, making sure that everybody can vote. Anybody who's qualified to vote should vote and mm-hmm. should be the least least restrictive. And uh, it's somewhat scary when you know that somebody who might get elected is going into that office and uh, has the ability to not
2: make it that easy for citizens to go vote yeah all of a sudden it's sort of it it neuters democracy um it does and it it, there's no you know change is important i think when it comes to you know either candidates platforms positions voting etc um that you know, you don't have an opportunity for growth without that change. And if you're sort of, you know, stuck in the same myriad of arguments and the same sort of muck of, you know, political speak, then nothing really happens. And you're essentially circling the wagons and chasing your tail when it comes to politics without any sort of growth for citizens. And, you know, all it does is, you know, the disenfranchised voter then doesn't want to vote. They don't become active. They don't participate. They don't run for office, right? They... You know, it's it's the same argument that I hear from individuals who say, well, my vote doesn't count for president. Right. So why should I vote for president? But every other race, it does count. And, you know, I, I think it, it really does impact how people view politics in the long run, if it if it already isn't influenced now, Um Have you heard from the state league in terms of uh, any sort of plans of action in terms of what might happen uh, with with further polling locations being closed, as well as a lack of early voting in Indiana, which I already know we are we are in the well below the bottom half of states. And actually, I think we're in the 40s out of the 50 states when it comes to um, access to early voting. Um, has the league at a statewide level uh, had any discussions about that yet that you can talk about?
3: Well, I'm, I'm sure we will. I mean, we've already—the the state league has already in, has been involved in um, two lawsuits uh, in partnership with uh, some other organizations like the NAACP, Common Cause, ACLU, those kind of groups, um, mm-hmm. as far as uh, restricting uh, voters. So I'm sure if something like that comes up again, we are we are ready to fight it. So, and it's probably going to come down to you know uh, filing a lawsuit. So,
2: we're talking with Barb Schilling, president of the League of Women Voters of the Calumet area, also co-president of the League of Women Voters of the state of Indiana.
0: Hey Barb. So this is D. I just took a quick post uh took took a quick look at um a Washington Post story as you guys were discussing election deniers and I pulled up some numbers that I thought were important um to stress um when we're talking about your vote nine one one website. Um so the Washington Post notes that fifty one percent
2: four one one. I'm for. sorry.
0: What did I say nine one one? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm Thinking about an <laughs> <That's> emergency. <okay.
2: laughs> it is an emergency. You need if to If you do not
0: go we to vote,
3: change it to nine one one. Right. If
0: you don't go to for, vote nine one one, it can be an emergency. But I found this interesting. It shows that in this Washington Post article, that fifty one percent of GOP nominees, or two hundred and ninety one nominees across the country, are election deniers. I found that number to be staggering. Um, It is. And I just wanted to iterate and reiterate, though, that number because it speaks to the importance of going to the website, Vote411, um, which as we are in conversation, I'm taking a look at the website. It's pretty intuitive, including information on the roles and responsibilities of each of the positions that are up for office, along with the bios and, as you shared, um, links to voter registration. So I just wanted to make certain that I highlighted those numbers. Well,
3: thank you, Dee. That that is staggering, uh, but I think it's it just it's makes the importance of you the voter to going out, doing due diligence, go to vote four one one, listen to NPR stations, listen to PBS stations to get to be as an informed as you can be when you go to the polls, so that you're making a good decision and voting for candidates. That share
0: your views.
2: And so, really quick, Barb, before we uh, we let you go here on originally speaking, um, what is uh, I guess before I get to the last question, um, how can individuals that they're interested in joining the league reach out to either you or the league themselves to be able to join? Um, do you have contact info? Do you have a phone number?
3: Uh, actually, we have a fabulous website you could go to our website and find out what we're up to. And, um, we're also on Facebook and just, uh, go on it. We're, uh, Calumet area. All you LWV Calumet area. org. And, uh, you can join online. Okay. Also. So
2: cool. Thank so you, Tom. <laughs> relatively simple there. We, we love a good shameless plug and, um, Bar, before we let you go here, I I know that uh, you'll be keeping an eye on uh, Tuesday evening and the election results. But uh, is there anything that uh, might surprise you, or any anything that you uh, would be shocked to see come election night?
3: I have a feeling uh, by driving around our area, walking around our area, that there might be some price, some surprises as people actually splitting their ticket this time around. And so, uh, I'm not gonna guess on specific offices, but I think there'll be a surprise that way.
2: So not uh, not just going down and clicking that uh, that straight ticket anymore. Actually, probably people are gonna be splitting
3: their tickets this time around.
2: Interesting, interesting. That uh, that might make for a a bit more of an enjoyable election night, regardless of whatever kind of pizza we have here at the studios. And uh, Barb, we hope you enjoy some election night pizza. Thank you so much for joining us here on Regionally Speaking.
3: Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Dee.
2: That's Barb Schilling, president of the League of Women Voters of the Calumet area, as well as the co-president of the league of women voters for the state of indiana and d i should note uh for listeners tuning in right now we will have local election coverage on tuesday november 8th Uh, statewide coverage beginning at six o'clock with ipb news uh being hosted by lauren chapman i know that uh, brandon smith a voice that we are all very familiar with, Andy Downs uh, from Fort Wayne, formerly of the Mike Downs Center for Politics, if I have the title. Indiana Politics. Indiana Politics uh, Mm -hmm. will be joining as well. Um, And then we will start up our local coverage at about seven o'clock. And we will, through the course of the evening, also have... live victory and possible concession speeches from candidates. We'll also hopefully be able to reach out to a couple of winning candidates towards the end of the evening. It's always tough in the middle of the uh, the the broadcast to get them because the numbers aren't in yet we right. don't know who's won um, but it'll be an opportunity nonetheless to be able to reach out to them and uh, hopefully get uh, get at least the, the first take on what they plan on doing with their newly elected status so be sure to tune in for that again election day starting at six o'clock with statewide coverage and then we will have localized coverage beginning at seven o'clock. And then once we wrap up locally, we will have NPR national coverage throughout the evening as well.
0: Hey, and I also wanted to point out that Monday is the final day for early voting in Northwest Indiana. Today, tomorrow, and through Monday, 11 sites in Lake County, seven locations in Porter County, and four in LaPorte County will be open for early voting. Hundreds of local polling places will be open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. for voters who want to cast their ballot on Election Day. You can find your polling place online at indianavoters.com
2: you can find me voting on election day though regardless of the weather looking forward to it and thank you so much for tuning in to regionally speaking this week we will be back next friday again at 11 o'clock here on lakeshore public radio 89.1 fm streaming online at lakeshorepublicradio.org it's coming up on noon here on lakeshore public radio